Father, we come before you today. We thank you for the blessings you have given each one of us. We pray that what we do during this day would be pleasing to you, that we would strive to set an example of that would be honoring and, and uh, again, pleasing and pleasant in your sight. Father, we thank you for the gifts and for all that you've done, for the friendship, for the assembly, for all the many gifts we overlook. Father, we thank you and we give you all praise and we ask all this in the name of your son, Yahshua the Messiah. Hallelujah. Y'all may be seated. It is uh, good to see everybody here. I'd like to also add a um, greetings to those online. For today, I want to speak about Wyram's Code of Conduct. Before I ask or get into the message, I want to ask why. Why is it important that we uh, even have a code of conduct, that we review the code of conduct? You know, as believers in the Messiah, it's not only about keeping the commandments, but it's also about being a person of character, being a person of value, being a person of virtue, changing who we are in the inside. You know, I'm a firm believer that we can keep the commandments spot on and yet in the end miss the mark. And that's really what this purpose is is intended to uh, convey, this concept that we need to press beyond the commandments and, again, be that person of character that Yahweh wants us to be. You know, this was a major part of Yahshua's ministry, major focus that he had during the evangels. You know, consider how many times he reprimanded, for instance, these scribes and Pharisees for their hypocrisy, for their lack of love, for for their lack of compassion, you know, in fact, in Matthew 23, he defines a judgment, mercy, and faith. He says as weightier matters. Tithing's not the most important. I don't think even the Sabbath is the most important in this instance. It's really, as he says here, judgment, mercy, and faith. You know, Matthew 15, Mark 7, he also makes a point there to say that it's not what comes, goes in, but what comes out of a man. That's important. So Yahshua was very concerned about the inward man. He was very concerned about character. He was very concerned about ethics. He was very concerned about virtue. And that's, again, really what we're trying to convey with this code of conduct, the virtue, the character, the morality that we should be showing as believers. Now, what does it mean here as far as the commandments? Are the commandments no longer important? Or as believers, we obviously know that's not the case. The commandments are very important. We know that unless we obey the commandments, we're not going to be found worthy of Yahweh's calling. So this is not to to diminish the commandments in any way. Now, that being said, as believers, if we never go beyond the commandments to become a person of virtue and character, I don't believe that we're going to receive salvation through, through our Father in heaven. You know, I believe that Yahweh is more concerned in some ways about character and virtue than going through the motions of the law, going through the motions of obeying him, maybe the Sabbath or the feast days. He's concerned about who we are. You know, nobody obeyed the commandments better than the scribes and Pharisees. I think we can agree on that. Nobody did a better job when it came to the nuts and bolts of the law and the commandments of the scribes and Pharisees. And yet, we know from a scriptural standpoint that Yahshua said in Matthew 5 that unless we exceed the righteousness, that we're not going to be found worthy of the kingdom. So we must exceed, we must go beyond the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. And really, what they were missing, as we know, was virtue and character. Because they had the commandments all wrapped up. They understood the commandments. They understood the Torah. They understood the law. They understood how to obey those things. What they were missing was, again, character, was virtue, was morality. That is, those are the things they were missing. So while the commandments are very important, as believers, we must, again, press on to perfection, as, as Scripture says. Now, the code of conduct, 
that we adopted about a year ago here this ministry was to help this kind of growth. That's the purpose. That's the mission, if you will, the code of conduct, to help us understand those things we should be pursuing. So without further ado, here is YRM's code of conduct. So I'm going to read through these. It says, we will treat one another with courtesy and kindness. That's the first code of conduct. Another one is, we will endeavor to maintain an attitude of love in all our relationships. We will seek to keep confidences and refrain from gossip. We will seek in all we do and say to strengthen character and dignify each other. We will remember that our personal conduct gives evidence of our sincerity and reflects upon the ministry. We will walk humbly, or in humility, I should say, of the Messiah and consider the needs of others. And the last one here, we will be vigilant in protecting our children and securing the, their safety and well-being at all times. Now, except for the last one here, I want to look. I want to take an in-depth look today what it means to do these items we find within this list. And I'd like to begin with the first one, and that is we will treat one another with courtesy and kindness. Courtesy and kindness. What does it mean to treat one another with courtesy and kindness? What, is he, what, do, what do these words even mean? Or courtesy... According to the Webster's, uh, Merriam-Webster Dictionary, it defines courtesy as this, behavior marked by polished manners or respect for others. It goes on to say consideration, cooperation, generosity, and providing something such as a gift or privilege. So courtesy is simply showing respect and consideration to others, maybe a gift. But really the focus is respect and consideration. What about kindness? What do we think of when we think of the word kindness or kindness Actually, I liked what Wikipedia said about this, so it goes on to say, behavior marked by ethical characteristics, a pleasant disposition, and concern and consideration for others. Now, I think that's real important that we understand that. Concern and consideration for others. So when we say that we want to pursue kindness, what we're saying is that we want to pursue concern and consideration for others. It goes on to say it is considered a virtue. It is recognized as a value in many cultures and religions. And, of course, we know that's certainly true with the Bible, that it is a value and a virtue within the Bible. Now, what are some of the similarities we find between these two words, between courtesy and kindness? Well, number one, we know that both are a virtue. Both words are virtue. Number two, they both involve respect, concern, and consideration for our fellow man. Now, what does the Bible say about these virtues? What do we find in Scripture? Well, here's what Paul says. I'm going to read from Colossians Chapter 3, verse 12. And it says, There put on therefore as the elect of Elohim, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, and long-suffering. So Paul begins here by calling out who? Paul begins here by calling out the elect of Yahweh. Now, this is a reference to believers, to true believers in the Messiah. So this is the audience. This is who Paul is speaking to. So what is this message? Where he says here that we should be showing Mercy, kindness, humbleness, and long-suffering. You know, since we're talking about kindness, I want to really delve into this word so that we understand the meaning and purpose and the value in kindness. So this word comes from the Greek kratosis and means usefulness, that is, moral excellence in character or demeanor. You know, one of the things I really liked about this definition is this reference to moral excellence. So when we're showing kindness, when we're showing consideration, when we're showing concern to somebody, we are showing excellent excellence in morality or character. 
we're showing exceptional character. Again, our Father in heaven, he's more concerned about who we are on the inside than who we are on the outside. Going back to those old Pharisees, we all know the we, we all know what Scripture says about the Pharisees. And they did a really great job with the commandments. Nobody could out Pharisee a Pharisee, as I say. Nobody could could do better than a Pharisee when it was when it came to the commandments. But we know that they fell miserably short according to Yahweh's standards. Again, Yahweh's more concerned about virtue. And listen, when we don't have that virtue, when we don't have that morality, no amount of obedience will supplement for that deficiency. We have to show that virtue and that kindness. In the same way, we must, we must obey the commandments and have faith in the Messiah. We must also be people of character. As we see here, this includes mercy, kindness, humility, and patience. I want to consider another passage, something Peter says now in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 4 through 7. It says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the majestic nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, and beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience holiness, and to holiness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. So Peter begins here by talking about the promise, the promise that we have as believers. Now, what is his promise for just a moment? Well, the promise here is in reference, I believe, to, to Yahweh's kingdom. You know, believe me when I say that there's nothing of more value, there's nothing greater than the promise, than the kingdom that awaits those called and chosen. As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, and we all know this passage, it says, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which Yahweh has prepared for those who love him. This is how great the kingdom is going to be. The kingdom is going to be a wonderful time. But for us to be found worthy of the kingdom, we must change who we are. So Paul, or Peter, I should say, he gives some direction. He helps us understand how we achieve this promise. And he mentions two things here. Number one, he says that we must flee the corruption of this world. That we must flee the corruption of this world. We cannot continue in the, the lust of this world. Two, we see here that we must be a person of character and virtue. Now, is it possible to flee the corruption of this world and not be a person of virtue? Think about that for just a moment. Is it possible to flee the corruption of this world and not be a person of virtue? Or the answer is yes. You see, it's one thing to not participate in the evils of this world, but it's another to be a person of love, kindness, compassion, Peter refers here to virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, holiness, brotherly kindness, and charity or love. Now, I believe that we see a progression here. Each one leads to something greater. And we see here that the greatest amongst these virtues is love or charity. Now, the second on the list is what? The second on this list is brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness. So based on this progression, I believe that brotherly kindness is only second to love or charity. 
This phrase comes from the Greek Philadelphia, refers to fraternal affection. This is the same love that's found between a uh, sibling, parent, family member. So as we see here, this is also the love we should have for one another, for the assembly, for those in the Messiah. I'm going to pause for just a moment. I want you to ask yourself, as a believer in the Messiah, do I show this kind of love? Do I show this kind of love? Do I love those in this assembly as I do my own siblings, as I do my own family? So I'm going to pause for just a few moments. I want you to think about that, ponder that for just a moment. Speaking about love, next item on the code of conduct is this. It says we will endeavor to maintain an attitude of love in all our relationships. You know, as we saw in the previous passage, love is an essential part of what it means to be a believer. The fact is, without love, we have nothing. You know, we can keep the Sabbath just right. We can dot every I and cross every T. But if we have not love, those efforts will gain us nothing. I want to show two passages from the Messiah and the importance of love. So the first one is John. Both were in John. John chapter 13, verse 35 says, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He doesn't say here, you're going to know if you're my disciples by keeping the Sabbath or keeping the feast days or maybe saying Yahweh's name just right. No, he says, you will know that you are my disciples by how you treat one another. John chapter 15, 12 through 13 says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. So what do we learn here? What did we learn from our Savior? Well, number one, to be a disciple of Yahshua, we must, we must show love. We must show compassion. We must show brotherly kindness. And number two, the greatest example of love is our willingness to lay down our life for another. So based on this, do you feel that you qualify as a believer, as a disciple of Yahshua the Messiah? Do you love those in this assembly as your own siblings? Are you willing to lay down your life for those in this room and for those you know? For those here, I hope the answer is an emphatic yes to both. If not, I would encourage you to reflect upon this and ask why. Why don't I have these, these, this concern, this love, this compassion? Now, 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 4, Paul defines what love is and what love is not. And this is from the NIV. It says, love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always preserves. So how does Paul here define Love, or the positive attributes of love are these, patience, kindness, forgiveness, protection, trust, and hope. The negative attributes of love are these. Love does not envy, does not boast. Love is not proud, rude, 
selfish or easily angered. Now, the positive attributes are those we should embrace. Negative attributes are those we should avoid. You know, one of the things we see here is that love is not only an emotion. Love is what we do. Love is, love is something we illustrate. Love is an action. You know, we also see here that love is multi-layered. You know, another, you know we, we see that love includes things like, again, compassion and many other values and characteristics. You know, let me share with you two examples. You know, if we're holding on to hatred, animosity, if we refuse to forgive a brother in the faith or a sister in the faith, and we are showing a deficiency of love. Now, I don't care how many times you say you love this person or that person. If our actions don't show that love by what we're doing, then what we're saying really means nothing. You know, if we're being rude to those in this assembly, again, we're, we're showing a deficiency of love. Now, these are only two of the many, many scenarios. I mean, there's countless scenarios we could probably come up with looking at the definition here of love and how we do show love and how we might not show love. Based on this definition, there are many other ways, again, we can show an absence of love. For this reason, I would encourage all those here and all those listening online to review this one passage. You know, if there, there's a you know, main focus, I, I think it's right here, right now. And I would encourage you to review this this week. Take the time to review it a few times this week. And I want you to ask yourself when you review it, do I show these attributes? Am I illustrating? Am I showing? Am I living? Because, again, you know, we can keep the Sabbath. We can keep Yahweh's, you know, we can observe the, the feast days. We can pronounce Yahweh's name just We can do all these things just right. And yet, if we have a deficiency in this, everything else matters not. You know, as Paul says in the beginning of this passage, he says there that he, he says, I, you can give everything you have to the poor. But if you have not love or charity, that, that act of uh, selflessness will gain us nothing. So as believers, there's no, comp- there, there's no way to compensate for lack of love. There's, there's, no, uh, there's no works that we can do to compensate for lack of love. Now, the next item on our list, code of conduct, is we will seek to keep confidences and we'll refrain from gossip. You know, being a person that is uh, trustworthy and refrains from gossip is, is huge. It really is important. I don't think we, we take this as serious as we should sometimes. You know, this is very critical. It's, it's an extremely important characteristic, not only to a healthy and striving assembly, but also to our Father in Heaven. You know, this is what He wants. You know, as we see in Proverbs, starting in verse 16, gossip is one of the seven uh, attributes, attributes that Yahweh defines as an abomination. He says, these six things does Yahweh hate. Yes, seven are an abomination unto him, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, murder, a heart that devises wicked imaginations, fit that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaks lies, and he that sows discord among brethren. So as we see here, Yahweh defines all these sins as an abomination. What exactly is an abomination? How does Yahweh define an abomination? It comes from the Hebrew toabah, refers to something that is morally, listen, it means something that is morally disgusting or an abhorrence. That's pretty bad. And that's how Yahweh defines this. Yahweh finds these items incredibly offensive. All of these things. 
Now, one of the items on this list is he who sows discord among the brethren, among the brothers and sisters of an assembly. A person who gossips and causes strife or contention. You know, the fact is, nothing good comes from gossip. The other thing about gossip is this. It's a sign of weakness. Gossip is a sign of weakness. Why do I say that? Gossip is often done because we'd rather not deal with the person and we'd rather gossip about that person behind their back. You know, for me, when we're gossiping, we're showing a lack of courage and we're showing a lack of integrity. And by the way, this is not the instructions Joshua gave us. What does Joshua say? Matthew 18. And also, we encourage this here at this assembly. You know, if we have an issue with somebody, go to that person. Don't come to me. I don't want to hear about it. Not until it's an issue. But you go first to that brother and sister and you work it out. That's the biblical principle. That is what we should be doing as believers. If we have an issue, you go to that person, you, you seek reconciliation, and you move on. But that seldom ever happens. But yet that's what our Savior says to do. Now, the reason why Yahweh finds gossip so offensive is because of what it does. And it's not real complicated. Gossip destroys relationships. Gossip destroys relationships. You know, again, if we have an issue with someone, we go to that issue, we, we go to that person to resolve the issue. And I know it's hard. Believe me, you know, I've been a minister for many years and project manager on the other, in, in my other life, and, and uh, both share one thing in common, or a few things, in, but, but conflict resolution is one. And, and believe me, I know people don't want to deal with conflict resolution. They run as fast and hard as they can. But as believers, we, we need to embrace that, but do it also in a loving way, compassionate way. The other lesson we see here within this code of conduct is that we should be trustworthy. Again, very important to our Father in heaven. What is trustworthy? Our synonyms for this word include dependable, ethical, honest, honorable, responsible, truthful, and upright. You know, as believers in the Messiah, are we living by these attributes? Are we showing ourselves to be trustworthy in the sight of our peers, and also, more importantly, in the sight of Yahweh. You know, when a friend or coworker describe us as a person who is dependable, ethical, or moral at work, you know, if we ask one of our coworkers we work with, and we said, you know, so-and-so, and they say, I know that person, and, and, and we ask, you know, would you describe that person as an ethical person, as a person that's honorable, as a person that's trustworthy, as a person that has good morality, what would they say? Would they say yes? Would they say no? Now, not only do these characteristics strengthen an assembly, here's the most important thing is that Yahweh wants this type of person within his kingdom. He wants a person who's trustworthy, who's dependable, who's honest in his his or her doings. If we're not a person who is honorable, we're not going to make it into the kingdom. I, I really think it's that simple. As believers in the Messiah, we must not only clean the outside of the cup, but also the inside. And again, as I go back to the Pharisees, the scribes and Pharisees. I mean, these guys, they had it nailed down. I mean, nobody could do a better job than the scribes and Pharisees. And yet, at the end of the day, Yahshua called these characters every horrible name you could imagine because they weren't ethical. They weren't ethical in the sense of, of, of having the virtue and having the character. 
that the word requires. Next code of conduct I want to review is we will see in all we do and say to strengthen character and dignify each other. What does this mean? Well, this refers to showing love, respect, support for the purpose of edification. That's what we're striving to do. You know, we should all be striving to help one another to, be, to become better believers in the Messiah. Here's what we uh, read in Hebrews 10, Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. It says, let us consider one another to provoke, to provoke. There's a very strong word. We'll talk about that, to provoke unto love and to good works. So that's an obligation we have. You know, everything we see within Scripture is a command, right? The command does not end with a Torah. Everything we find within the New Testament, this is a command to us to act, to respond, to engage differently. Where here it says, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. That is a command. It says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more. As you see, the day approaching. And of course, we know that as the days approach, times are going to get harder and we need that support. So this passage begins by saying that we should provoke one another to good works, to love and good works. How do we do that? What does this mean to provoke? Well, this word comes from the Greek parks osmos, literally means to incite, to stimulate, or to motivate to good works. That is what this passage is conveying. So how do we do this? So number one, we do this by not being judgmental, by not gossiping. Number two, we do this by showing sincere love for the brethren, by showing sincere agape for those here. It also says here that we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is. Now I've known many people over the years, they refuse to be part of an assembly. They decide to go it alone. You know, from my perspective of what I've seen over the years, 20 years in the ministry, nothing good comes from going it alone. Nothing good comes from staying home and doing nothing and believing that there's no benefit in fellowship. There's always benefit in fellowship. You know, being part of a congregation offers many values. For one, it offers encouragement. It offers motivation. And, I, you know, that's what we see in this passage. You know, as the days get closer to Yahshua's coming, we need that motivation. We need that encouragement. Because believe me, things are going to get, get bad. And maybe it will, and maybe it won't, won't occur in our lifetime. I don't know when it's going to happen. But I know as time goes on, things are getting worse. And as things get worse, we need support. And the support should come from within. And that's why it's so important to be part of an assembly, to have that support, to have that that, that motivation. You know, beyond this, I also believe it provides a balance. You know, it seems like most people I've noticed who go off on their own and they refuse to associate or fellowship with anybody else, they get off course, spiritually, doctrinally, whatever, but they get off course because they don't have that motivation. They don't have that anchor. And I believe it's important to have that anchor, to have that motivation. Now, I realize that when we strengthen character and dignify each other, we are also strengthening the assembly. You know, this is what I call a win-win. We are strengthening not only who we are, but through strengthening of who we are, we are also strengthening the assembly at large. I want to read something Paul says in Ephesians. 
Ephesians 4, verse 29 says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Just real quickly, corrupt communication. This, this is one reason why I think it's so important as believers we don't use bad language, that we use language that, that is a, a, a virtue. You know, some people, they just don't see that. I, I cringe when I hear a believer say something, use a word that's inappropriate. We shouldn't do that. goes on to say, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. So what I want to focus on here is where Paul says edifying. This comes from the Greek okotome. Strong's defines it as a compound or structure. When we communicate in a positive way, when we minister with kindness or grace or compassion, we're strengthening and we're fortifying our relationships and also the assembly because, again, if we're a better person and if the assembly is made up of better people, the assembly will be a better assembly. It's not real complicated. So we need to remember that if we are doing things in a way that is edifying, we are again, strengthening those relationships. We are strengthening us as a person, we are, and we are strengthening this assembly. You know, remember that Yahshua compared the uh, person who followed him, to, who followed his teachings, as a house built upon a rock. So if we are edifying, if we are building up, we are strengthening and fortifying these spiritual temples, and that's why this is important. Or the next code of conduct is this. We will remember that our personal conduct gives evidence of our sincerity and reflects upon the ministry. You know, as believers, we need to realize that our personal actions reflect upon the assembly. It reflects upon what we do here. You know, this is not only true when we're here, but also in the world. You know, for example, if we're a person that is known to uh, cause strife, that behavior not only reflects upon us as a person, but it may reflect upon the assembly. When we say or do things, whether it's within or outside the assembly, we need to ask, how does this behavior reflect upon the body of believers? How does this action reflect upon the assembly, upon the congregation? You know, this is why I think Paul says in 1 Timothy 3 that a minister must have a good report from without. You see, Paul, one of the qualifications of a minister was that those in the world also saw you as a person of value, also recognized that you were a person of virtue, a person of morality. It's not only within, it's also without. This means that we must, again, show that mutual love and respect as we find. You know, the other thing, too, is this is not Alan's assembly. This is not Randy's assembly. This is Yahweh's assembly. You understand? When we show attributes that are unbecoming, We are not showing a lack of respect to the ministers. We are showing a lack of respect to whom the the assembly belongs, and that is to our Father in heaven. And this is why it's so important that we set a good example, not only here but abroad. So I would encourage all those here and those listening to ask yourselves, does my behavior, does my behavior and attitude reflect positively upon the assembly? And again, not only here, but when you're not here. Does my interactions, does my speech, does everything I do, does it reflect in a positive way? You know, am I showing the same love, same concern, same selflessness, 
same forgiveness that Yahshua showed during his ministry. And the last uh, code of conduct I want to review is uh, this one here. It says, we will walk in the, in the humility of the Messiah and consider, consider the needs of others. You know, in many ways, I believe that humility is only second to love. So how do we define humility? Well, let me, let me share with you a few things that, that, that I would consider as humility and maybe others that, that are not. So humility is realizing that we are not the center of this universe. That's one way we can measure humility. We're not the center of this universe. If, we, if something happens to us today, believe me, this universe will continue on. This assembly will continue on. Our families will continue on without us. We are not the center of this universe. Humility is also showing selflessness. It's showing and admitting fault. It's receiving correction. It's looking first at the needs of others. And it's removing pride. I mean, I could probably go on and on with this. I'm sure there's other actions, behaviors, descriptions of what humility is and is not. When it comes to humility, humility, though, there's very few books that provide more insight than Proverbs. I want to read from Proverbs for just a few moments. Begin with Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13. It says, the fear of Yahweh is to hate evil. You know, just real quickly, I'm a big believer with the fear of Yahweh. Some people, they don't see the need or the relevance with this, where they simply believe it's this lukewarm reverence. But I believe it's important that we fear. You know, Scripture says that we should, that we should fear Yahweh and work out our own salvation in fear and trembling goes on to say that pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the forward mouth do I hate. Those are signs of pride. When pride comes, in cometh shame, but with the lowly, or humility, is wisdom. The fear of Yahweh is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. So again, we see this two real strong themes of fear of Yahweh and, and, and honor coming through humility. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better it is to be of a humble spirit with a lowly than, divide, than to divide the spoil with a proud. And the last one here is before destruction, the heart of man is haughty and before honor is humility. So what are some of the common themes we find throughout these passages? Or we see a lot of contrast, number one, between, between a humility and Pride, we um, see that humility is blessed, while pride is cursed. We also see that humility brings success. Humility brings success. But in the end, we know that pride brings ruin or destruction. So these are some of the patterns I see within this book when it comes to humility and conversely pride. You know, as I mentioned, I believe that humility is only second to showing love. You know, one of the main reasons for this is, is pretty simple. Humility allows us to submit ourselves to Yahweh's will. Right? Humility allows us to submit ourselves to our Father in heaven. Pride does not allow change. A person who is full of pride will never change. A person who is full of pride will never be able to receive correction. A person who is full of pride will never be able to admit fault. Pride is counter to the one we worship. And a person who is incapable of submitting themselves to Yahweh will not be found worthy of the kingdom. You see, we must submit ourselves because we belong to him. You know, the Bible says that we were bought with a price, and that price 
was the shed blood of our Savior. For this reason, we don't belong to ourselves. You don't, you don't have a life outside of the one you worship. Yahshua came, he died, and he gave his blood as a ransom for our sins. And we belong to him. You know, when it comes to humility, I want to close with this verse. In Yahshua the Messiah, there's no better passage, in my opinion, than Philippians 2. Philippians 2, 3 through 8 says this, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man to his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in the Messiah Yahshua, who, being in the form of Elohim, thought it not robbery to be equal with Elohim. He made himself of no reputation. This is a reference to our Savior. And took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men, even though we know that he was so much more. It says, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the state. So Paul says, number one, that we're not to uh, have strife for vainglory. Or vainglory, by the way, is self-conceit. As believers, we must die to self and live for Messiah. And again, we do this because he paid through his blood. He paid and he bought us through his blood. Now, Paul also says here that we should walk in lowliness of mind. Well, this is a reference to humility. Matter of fact, I was, I was doing some, I didn't realize this. The word uh, humility comes from the Latin humilis, meaning low. So that's where humility comes from. It's a Latin word to meaning, to meaning low, as we see here, lowliness of mind. Now, how do we do this? Or we esteem others better than ourselves. That's one way we do it. That's what Paul says here. In other words, we put our needs secondary to the needs of others. How many of us do that? Do we actively put our needs secondary to the needs of others? Do we look for opportunities in, which, in, in ways we can help the other person before our own needs? Well, that's what Paul says we should be doing. That's how Paul defines humility, that we should first be more concerned about the needs of others more than our own needs. You know, Yahshua really set the bar high when he came. No one showed more humility, more concern for mankind. And as his disciples, we're to walk as he walked, right? We're to do as he, he did. We're to live as he lived. We're to worship as he worshiped. We're to behave as he behaved. We're to treat others as he treated others. Now, how did Yahshua treat those who he engaged with? Or how Yahshua treated others was, again, through love and compassion. Now, he had no patience for the Pharisees and the scribes, but they knew better. But for those who did not know better, for those who were still learning, he showed great patience. And again, as his disciples were to do the same. You know, in this passage, we see here that Yahshua humbled himself. It says that he made himself of no reputation. And he took upon him the form of a servant. Now, we believe here that Yahshua preexisted. We believe here that he had glory with the Father before coming as a man. And we believe that he gave all that up when he was born as a boy. He gave that relationship up. He, he humbled himself. He made himself like man. 
so that he could come and die for the sins of mankind. But in doing that, he left that relationship. Can you imagine, just for a moment, try to imagine, try to imagine having this deep, connective, connected relationship with Yahweh for millions of years, and then one day leaving that and humbling yourself as a man and dying for the sins of mankind. And he did that for us. And we're to again follow in his footsteps. I want to close now by reviewing one more time our code of conduct, those things we've looked at today. And I really would encourage you all to to, um, consider these. Consider these. So we will treat one another with courtesy and kindness. That's the first one. Second one is we will endeavor to maintain an attitude of love in all our relationships. And again, that's here and that's outside. Even if they're not within the assembly, we should still be showing love. You know, Yahshua said that we should be praying for enemy, not beating them, uh, you know, showing, showing aggression. Next one is we will seek to keep confidences and we will refrain from gossip. We will seek in all we do and say to strengthen character and dignify each other. We will remember that our personal conduct gives evidence of our sincerity and reflects upon the ministry. We will walk in the humility of the Messiah and consider the needs of others. And the last one here that we uh, did not really focus on, but certainly is important, we will be vigilant in protecting our children, securing their safety and well-being at all times. You know, I hope we uh, realize the value of this code of conduct. I, I really like our code of conduct. It's not just a piece of paper with some words. There's a message behind it. You know, we, we really took the time to consider, you know, what are those attributes we should be pursuing as believers? What are the, va- the, what are the virtues we should be showing? What are the characteristics we should be exhibiting within our lives? And then we put those within this code of conduct. So again, one more time, this is not a piece of paper or just some words on a slide. These words have value. If we follow them, we will be a better believer, we will be a better person, and we will have a better assembly. You know, if everybody in this room and those listening would follow these few principles, it would change us in ways I don't think we could really imagine. So I pray that we consider what we've heard today throughout this week. Again, ponder upon these words. Think about these words. It's not enough to simply keep the commandments. We must also change who we are in the inside. We must exceed, as Yahshua said, we must exceed, we must go beyond the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. And we don't do that by keeping the Sabbath better. We do that be, but by becoming a person of virtue, by becoming a person of character. That is how we do that. So I pray that we would strive for these, these, these attributes because, believe me, this is what Yahweh wants. And this is what helps us as people and certainly here in this ministry. So with that, may Yahweh bless you.